Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Fountain Church Podcast. Our prayer is that God speaks to you in a real and powerful way. So go ahead, grab your Bible, grab a notepad and your coffee, and let's dive in. You know, there's something fascinating about watching something that's broken be put back together, right? I mean, for like the last two decades, we've had home improvement shows on HGTV. I think it took HGTV to the next level with all of these different shows. Um, all the way back from, you remember Ty and Extreme Makeover, they, they redo somebody's house that's maybe in need or in trouble. They have a big old bus in front of it and they say, move that bus, right? And the, the bus moves, everybody cheers. We're all watching TV like, what is it going to look like? And then you look, your kids are looking at the room like, my room doesn't look like that. Um, and so, so all these shows, we, we, we have new ones like uh, uh, Flip or Flop. I, I think Love It or List It has been uh, just an interesting one. Do I want to hold on to the old after it's redone or do I want to flip it and get something brand new? But, but we just love to see broken things restored. We love to see that. I, I think there, there's something about the before and after, like we're trying to envision it. We're trying to imagine what, it, what it's going to look like when it's all done. It's funny because every time I go to my dentist, I have like the best dentist on the planet. I, I love my dentist. People don't like the dentist. I love my dentist. And uh, every time, whether I'm getting a filling or recently I had to get a crown, that's all he has on is HGTV. And we watch home improvement stuff. So I'm, I'm sitting in the dentist chair and I'm just wondering, man, would I keep it? Would I, would I flip it? Would I flop it? Oh, oh, no, he doesn't hurt me at all. It's, 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 it's really cool. He's a good guy. But, but even the movies that we watch, we're drawn to redemption. We're, we're drawn to the underdog coming back. We're drawn to the, the sense of sacrifice. One, one person said it like this, is that the reason why we love movies so much is because in every good movie, there's a taste of the gospel that our soul absolutely longs for. Because as we watch them, we see, we see these shadows. We see these moments of sacrifice. We see these moments of reconciliation. Like, isn't it great when we see a relationship reconciled? That was going in one direction. It, it could be a friendship. It could be uh, a marriage. It can be uh, somebody that, that finds themselves in addiction and they get clean. We love that. We love in real time watching people come to Jesus for the very first time. It's, it, there's something about watching God restore and rebuild and renew. There's something about that that we all long for. And so as much as we love to see broken things restored, it, it hurts our hearts to see broken stuff. Sometimes from afar, you, you look at different countries that don't have infrastructure like we do. So Haiti, this is from the, their last earthquake. You, know, you, you look at the rubble and you're just like, man, it, it, it hurts if you look at it long enough. If you actually take the time to see it and to, to, to put yourself in that moment. I remember recently talking to a lady, and it hurt my heart. She said, you know, my husband and I have been estranged for like the last 10 years. We live in the same house, but as soon as the kids graduate this year, we're done. And in my mind, my, my, my heart goes out because I'm like, you've been doing this for 10 years? And my first thought is, have you guys looked for any help? Have you guys tried it? Like, nah, we just, it's just not working. It's just not. And, and that, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart to see somebody fall back into addiction. To see habits 
resurface that were destructive. It breaks my heart when somebody comes and they say, I lost my job or, or I lost a loved one. You know, in some of those moments of brokenness, you just kind of sit with them because you don't even know what to say because there's nothing you can really say in the moment to make anything feel any better. What, what about loneliness? Sometimes I think, you know, uh, for those of you guys who are single, man, I'm sure there's, there's some of you may have the gift of singleness. and You're like, I never want to get in a relationship. Been there, done that. I'm, I'm good. I have the gift. But a lot of you don't. And, and there's those moments and those waves of loneliness. And when I hear it and when I see it, even though you know all the right answers, it still hurts. We hate to see people in broken places. And then we get on uh, levels of just some everyday stuff, some things that we just haven't dealt with. Like I, I talk to people that have longtime wounds. They don't see it. I see it. They don't see it. But it's just I, 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 I'm good. Just good. Just moving on with my life. They're guarded. They don't let anybody in in. And then you kind of level it up to a macro level and you, we look out into the world and we see brokenness like human trafficking. We sex trafficking children. A lot of times though, it's like, man, I, I don't, it's just, it's so much to, to in, ingest, isn't it? We look out all the brokenness in the world. There's so many things going on. It's like, Everywhere you look, there's something new that's going on. But, but what about the brokenness inside of you and me? But like, what, what, what do we do with that? How do we restore the brokenness inside of us? Like even as I'm talking right now, your brain is probably going, the Holy Spirit is moving. As I pray, Lord, would you expose the broken areas? God, would you expose the areas where the enemy has come and maybe tore some things apart, where there's been a divide, where there's been confusion, where there's been a breach, just where, where there's, 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 there's some stuff that you're dealing with. Like, like some of you relationally, as I talk about relationships, as soon as I say that, you're like, yeah, that relationship comes to your mind and you're like, yeah, we're struggling. Or when I say addiction, some of you go right toward drugs. Some of you guys know it has nothing to do with drugs. It's, it's, it's a different habit. It's a different addiction. It's a different flow. A lot of times we think about addiction today, um, we, we, we kind of navigate towards drugs and alcohol, but there are so many other addictions today that are destroying people. And many of them don't look bad on the surface. They're just unhealthy rhythms and, and things that we've created in our life. Some of us have made choices and we're suffering uh, as a result of those. And we know it, but we still don't want to deal with it. Some of us just have some undealt with stuff that we know, we've been known, we totally know, but we just don't go there. And so I, I, think, I think what breaks my heart is, is this reality, is that it's possible to love watching others' lives be restored while our life lies in ruins. It's like we can watch it on TV, we can, we can see what God is doing in other people's lives while our house is broken, while we need a new roof, like the bathroom needs to be redone. And for some of us, it's just that closet door that can never stays on track. Are you with me? So you just, just kind of makeshift it every single week rather than just saying, how do we fix this thing? Just tweaking with it over and over and over. Some of you even, even love to help other people. Like, I love helping other people in their brokenness, but, but my house still lies in ruins. And see, the reality is it's, it's impossible for you and I to deal with our stuff if we don't want to see it, 
if we don't want to talk about it, if we don't want to hear it, if we don't want to invite Jesus into those areas, yeah, you're right. We'll just live in this perpetual state with these broken areas for a long period of time. I've watched people live long times, a long time in a continual broken state. But, but a lot of times we don't have to deal with it because I'm still functioning. It's not that bad. But I wonder what's on the other side of that that you don't see. Because sometimes we think that uh, being healed of broken areas in our life is just for us. But what if it's so much bigger than that? So we have King David. You guys remember King David? He uh, committed adultery and then killed her husband. Um, just a, a bad scenario. And most scholars believe he tried to cover it up for about a year. Like, he, he just tried to go on with his life as if nothing ever happened. Like, I'm just going to, come on, let's go. I'm going to continue to rule. I'm going to continue to reign. I'm going to try to function as normal. But, but he said this in the Psalms. He says, but my bones ate. Like, because there was just those moments where I'd come back to that reality that I haven't dealt with. And so what did I do? I distanced myself from God. I distanced myself from other people. And I'm just kind of living in my own kingdom. And then finally, he, you, know, you know the story. If you don't, you can go and read about it. His friend Nathan comes, and uh, Nathan the prophet and says, hey, tells him a little story about this, this unjust situation happening of a rich man taking a, uh, a poor man's sheep. And David's like, that man should die. That man should be dealt with. That. And then Nathan looks and said, man, that man is you. And in that moment, it's like I'm face to face with the brokenness that I've been trying to avoid. And so some of us, we know the brokenness, like David knew it. He was ignoring it, but the moment David brought it to the service, David's like, ugh, yep. Because I think sometimes our brokenness and broken areas of our life, uh, I'm, I'm not putting a name to it because there's too many things to name. But sometimes in those areas that are broken, it's so easy to almost forget that it's broken because you've been living so long in that state. And so finally somebody brings it to the surface and you're like, oh yeah, yes, it's not, I'm not doing too good here. And so, so Nehemiah is, is probably one of the, the greatest pictures of rebuilding in the Bible. I think Nehemiah, the story of Nehemiah is a great picture of the Holy Spirit at work in our own life. Now let me give you a little bit of context. Uh, Nehemiah lived about 400 years before Jesus. He was a regular guy. He wasn't a prophet. And he was a God that God used to rebuild, to restore, and to do it in record time. And so he was a, a, a Jewish man, and the people of Israel had gotten away from the heart of God as a result of their idolatry and them getting away from God. The Babylonians came in, overthrew them, and took them out of their homeland, brought them to Babylon. And about 50 to 70 years into that exile, uh, king Xerxes, now the new king at the time, said, hey, I'm going to let some of you guys go back to Jerusalem, go back to your homeland. Now, many of these people had never even seen Jerusalem. They had been born in exile. They'd been born into captivity. So maybe some of the, the older generation uh, that was still alive knew and have seen and, and remember. But this new generation is, is I'm sure, excited and also a little bit scared, like, what is this going to look like? Because Babylon is all we've known. And so we pick up in Nehemiah chapter 1, 
Verses 1 and 2, it says, In the late autumn, in the month of Kilzev, in the 20th year of King Xerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanai, one of my brothers, came to visit me with other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who would return there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So he's like, what, what's happening there? He said, they said to me that things are not going well. They're not going well at all. In fact, those that return to the province of Judah, they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. Can I just tell you, if you're a Christian, you probably know this passage really well. But lean in today. Because the report that was coming back was it, it's, it's messy. There's, it's disastrous. And it's broken. And this word disgrace, it literally means shame. Like the people are shame. It's like that bad. They're just ashamed of their conditions. They're ashamed of their life. And so you can imagine, they, they get released from exile. They're hoping to see this, and they see this. Because you imagine, like, like, you finally get released, and it's like, okay, let's go home. Hoping that maybe it looks like this, but then you get there, and it's really like this. And then it's like, what do we do? And they, they lived in that state for a long period of time. And, and so Nehemiah is getting word of all of this. And something is starting to happen on the inside of him. We all know how it feels to have hopes and aspirations and things don't turn out the way we had hoped or the way we envisioned. And so everything had been torn down. And as a result of that, there was no protection inside like, even though we try to rebuild, the enemy can just come and just wreak havoc, just mess everything up. They were being mocked. I mean, could you imagine the enemy just looking at them saying, man, if your God is so good, like, for real, this? This is what you get? Come on, we know how it feels to be in that space. We know how it feels to be in a broken space where we had this idea of a marriage and we're like, man, I'm not really sure. We had this idea of what it looks like to parent and the type of mom or family we would have and, and the challenges that you're facing now. You're like, oh, my Lord. right? Maybe, maybe you thought you'd be in a different place financially or you thought you'd be further along in this area of your life or that area. Maybe you thought following Jesus, like you knew everything wasn't going to always be great, but underneath it all, you really thought so. And so now things aren't turning out and you can hear the enemy's voice like, for real? Like, where is your God? This is what you get for fun. Look at the world. Doesn't it look so much easier out there? Like, th this is what you get. You get ruins? So I'm just wondering today, as you're sitting hearing my voice, maybe you don't have all the walls torn down, all the gates are burned. Maybe you're in that place. But maybe there, there's a portion of the wall that the enemy still has access. Maybe there's, a, there's one gate that has been burned. Because I think sometimes we read these passages and we're like, well, that's not me. I mean, I'm not, I'm not that bad. Okay, but maybe there's an area where the enemy has access. But a lot of times we don't want to talk about that. Why? Because brokenness leaves us vulnerable and ashamed. Like to actually acknowledge it and to start to deal with it and think about it, it's super vulnerable. And so the people of Israel, they were vulnerable to their enemies because the enemy could come and go. They were ashamed because they were being mocked like, man, basically ashamed of who they were. And it's almost like, man, what kind of God? You may start to think, yeah, you got a point. 
what kind of God does lead me in this place? I mean, my house has holes in it. When it rains, I get soaked. My neighbor doesn't. And there's just a vulnerability that you feel and a sense of shame. You ever see somebody's car that's great on the outside and they want to just clean it up on the outside because they're pulling up to like an event and they don't want to have a dirty car? That was me like a week ago. Just true story. Um, We're going to an event. I'm like, I do not want to. And our car is relatively clean. uh, But I was like, I don't want to pull into the parking lot and it's dirty. Right? And I could explain why, but there's just something like, there's a sense of dignity. Like, hey, I may not have the best car, but it's clean. But then then other people, they, they, they may have an outside clean car, but then the inside. True story. This person actually got fined. Like, they got pulled over and fined for how tore up their inside was. And then, then it's worse. If your outside is clean, but the inside is not, and somebody says, hey, can I get a ride? You're like, oh, yeah, you know, it's not good. It's not a good idea. All right, because we, we don't want people to see the inside. Why? Because it's vulnerable. Because it's shameful. Like, because we know that it shouldn't look like this. But isn't it so easy to hide? I think we even spiritualize our hiding. We say things like, it's all under the blood. It's all under the blood, under the blood of Jesus. Have no brokenness. You know what blood does? Blood rushes to broken areas. Like, when your body gets gets a wound, you know what rushes to that wound is blood. To give oxygen, to give breath, to give life. And so there's a reason why uh, James says at the end of James, as we're getting ready to launch small groups, confess your sin to one another that you might be healed. Could it be that after salvation, even though positionally we are totally whole and totally his, there are still areas that he's totally healing and that he's restoring areas that he's tearing down and rebuilding still? And so a lot of times we just use these words because it makes us not feel as vulnerable. It makes us not feel ashamed. It gives us an out not to have to deal with what's before us. Like like I've told you guys before how I've wrestled with anxiety. And so it's, it's embarrassing and vulnerable sometimes if I'm having a day where I just feel nervous for no reason. And then I have to get around people and I'm a pastor it can just feel very vulnerable in that space. And then the shame can come in because I feel like, man, like you're a pastor. You know, like you should be stronger. Where's your faith? Where's your... And so we all have these internal things that we're wrestling with. You know, for some of you, your marriage needs help, but you're just not getting it. It's too vulnerable and you'll be too embarrassed and you're too ashamed. For some of you, it's your kids, but there's no way that you can, you know, let everybody know that your kids aren't perfect. And so you just suffer in silence and they suffer as a result of just not reaching out. Maybe you're lonely. And but but to to let people know you're lonely, it's way too vulnerable. Like I, I can't be ashamed because I'm good. I'm okay. Maybe it's, your, maybe it's your past, and you still haven't been able to jump the hurdle, but you're afraid to tell people you still haven't jumped the hurdle. 
because it's too vulnerable and you're too ashamed. So you're like, oh, maybe you're worried and overwhelmed and you've just been suffering in this place because to let anybody know that you're worried and that you're overwhelmed, it's too vulnerable. It's, it's, it's too shameful. But, but here's, the, here's the truth is that you can't restore what you don't realize. It wasn't until David realized, oh my goodness, I have sinned against God. There's a broken place. Listen, if you're like, I'm not really sure if I have brokenness, where are you vulnerable and where are you ashamed? Just start there. You'll find something. And others of you are like, dude, I'm totally good. All right, you're totally good. You have no brokenness. You're solid. Amazing. You know what? Please call me, email me this week. Let me know your secret. And because uh, I'd love to know. But if that's you and you're like, I have no brokenness, I have nothing that I need to deal with, I'm totally good. Okay, well then what are you doing about the world around you that's broken? Like how are you seeing that? Is it moving your heart in any direction? So see, Nehemiah, he, he heard what was going on. He says, when I heard this, because maybe the Spirit of God is going to bring some stuff to your mind today. And, and what do we do? when we kind of get a, a, a wind of something that is broken. A lot of times, we either want to do two things. We want to ignore it, or we want to run and go fix it. Let's just, let's go, let's go, let's, let's do something now. What do we got to do? What, what do I got to do? Give me three points. Hurry! Isn't it funny? I think a lot of times when we see our brokenness, we get afraid. And what do we do when, we, when we're afraid? We sprint. Whenever we're scared, we sprint. Isn't that true? If bear shows up right there at that back door, you guys are going to run real fast. Even though you know everything is, is told you, you know, get down, get in the fetal position. You're not going to do that. You're going to hope somebody else does that while you run. Sprint. Right? When, when it's dark and you're running up the stairs, what do you do? Sprint. Because you feel like something's going to grab your little feet. Just want to run super. What about when you're, when you're nervous in a conversation? You're going to do one of two things. You're going to shut down and just be like, oh, my gosh. Or you're going to ramble and just talk super fast. You know, why am I even saying this? I don't even know what I'm saying. It's just, oh, oh. A lot of times when we're scared, we sprint. And so when we touch these areas, a lot of times we want to fix it before we grieve it. And, and, and what Nehemiah does is he sits down. He doesn't rush to. He just he sits down. It's like, man, this is. This is big. And this word sit, it means to remain. It means to dwell. I think we live in a culture where even now it says, don't dwell on the bad stuff. Okay, but you got to look at it. And a lot of times we say that because it's uncomfortable. And it is because it says that he sat there and he waited and he dwelt and he wailed. He bitterly wept. And he grieved. He lamented. Those are all the words that describe wept. And so he's taking it in. He's grieving over the city. I think as we look over the last 18 months, this is totally biblical. Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem. He said, man, if you would have only recognized your visitation, you missed it. Jesus wept with Martha and Mary when their brother died, even though he was going to raise him from the dead. There's just something sometimes about saying, I know it's going to get better. I know it's going to work, but can we just sit and let God do something in our hearts? 
and not just try to rush to the solution. We live in the day of solution. And a lot of times we end up reacting, rather responding, so then we create more of a mess. And it's like, I'm not saying don't do anything, just sit around all day and grieve. I'm saying, but no, just let, just sit for a moment at least. And let God do something in your heart. As we look out into our city, into our region, into this greater Bay Area, do you know how many pastors that I'm talking to, how many people left? How many people left California? I talked to a pastor the other day, 250 families moved out of state. Like, we, we can just say, all right, well, we just, well, we'll let them go. Let's just, no, but say, you got to grieve that. We got to sit and just let that sink in real quick. Like, man, that's a lot of people who you were in relationship with, who were on your team, who were, that, that's a lot. And so as we look out at our region, as we look out on, on, on the Bay Area, as we look out in California, I think, man, as we're looking at where we're at, we were 95% unchurched in the Tri-Valley before last year. I guarantee that number has gone up. So, so many people have been de-churched. So many people need to get rehabilitated back into community. And so, I mean, there, there's a scattering, which can be good, but it's also... You know, I've talked to so many people that have been isolated. And sometimes as a pastor, sometimes as a Christian, I just need to sit back and be like, man, it's broken. And there's a lot going on. And everything inside of me, because I, I want to go to the, I want to take the next hill. Everything inside of me wants to sprint. And the Lord's like, yeah, well, why don't you just sit and weep for a minute? Why don't, you just, why don't you just hang tight? Because the hardest part of brokenness is looking at it. I think, you know, we grew up our whole life and you just hear things like, stop crying, move on. Don't think about it, it's over, there's nothing you can do. And sometimes that's true, there's nothing you can do, but that doesn't mean you can't sit for a moment and, and understand that, man, I just got punched in the face, let me just relax for a minute. It's like we have to get knocked out sometimes to rest or, or, or to, to take a moment. And so, so I, I, think, I think many of us, we haven't, in many ways, allowed our hearts to break over the brokenness, so we remain in the palace and we miss our purpose. Because Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. He is living in luxury. And the purpose that God had for him, it wasn't comfortable and it, it, it wasn't easy. It wasn't in the palace. And I just thought if he wouldn't just sat, took this all in, let God break his heart for that brokenness, he might have missed his purpose. And so I think a lot of times we want restoration, but we don't want to look at our brokenness in the face. And, and it's, it's tough. One of the hardest parts of brokenness is looking at it. Can I just tell you, if you are the one always giving advice and you never need any advice and nobody really knows you, lean in today. Because the hardest part is looking at it. The hardest part is looking at it. I, I mean, it's just, it, it's tough because you feel vulnerable. When you look at it, you feel the shame. It's like to deal with it, to deal with the relationship, I gotta admit something's broken in our relationship and what do I feel? I feel vulnerable and I feel the shame because we should be stronger, we shouldn't be in this spot. And so to deal with the shame and the vulnerability, you feel it in order to deal with it, you gotta feel it, I don't wanna feel it, so therefore I'd rather just not deal with it. Rather not have that convo, it's too hard. Rather not look in the mirror, it's too difficult. I'd rather not look at my mistakes. Probably the most difficult, I think, for me is to look at my sin Oh, who wants to just look at your sin and actually let it break your heart? 
It's, it's, it's tough. We see the brokenness and the injustices in our world. We look at the globe and we come face to face with our brokenness and it's super hard. Like when, when Jackie, I always come back to this because this was a hard moment for me. When Jackie said, you're so good at discipling everybody except for me. Everything want, inside of me wants to run from those moments because the hardest part is to look at it. But also, ladies and gentlemen, the best part of brokenness is looking at it. This is the best part. This is what motivates you. This is what all of a sudden you start to realize that, hey, it's broke. It's broken. We look at our life. We look at our sin. We look at pain. We look at areas of our relationships. The first step is just, man, we got to look at it. It's the hardest, but it's the best. This is what our Freedom Conference is all about. We don't have a secret sauce for you. We're just going to help connect you to Jesus and invite you to invite him to help you look and to help you hear so you can see that his best is on the other side of this moment. That's it. So so what do we do? Well, we learn from Nehemiah that we have to first let God's awesomeness overshadow our brokenness. We got to let God's awesomeness overshadow our brokenness. So we got to look at it. But how do, we, how do we filter it? How do we process it? Nehemiah 1.4 says, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. What is he doing? Nehemiah is dying to himself. He's realigning his heart. He's been in a Babylonian culture for a long time. He's right hand to the king. I'm sure some of those influences had affected him at some level. He's a righteous dude. He, he, he's... He's doing the best that he knows how, but, but all of a sudden it's like, okay, I'm looking at this, it's broken, and something is shifting inside of me. I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to realign myself with the one that I know is awesome. And then he says this, he says, then, then I said, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. See, when you begin to see your brokenness through his awesomeness, rebuilding starts to become possible because you see his faithfulness. And you go back to that beautiful reality that the weight of God's glory, his power outweighs everything. And so when you and I, when I see my brokenness, Nehemiah is saying, listen, I see it. But you see me. I'm so grateful that God is in the dark. And what Nehemiah is saying is, I know the complexities of my brokenness are no match for your covenant. There's just no match. They're no match for your unfailing love. They're no match for how awesome you are. They're no match. And so you remember Peter. Peter is, is looking at the awesomeness of Jesus, the glory of Jesus as he's walking on the water. And as, as Peter is, is, has his eyes fixed on his awesomeness, all of a sudden his brokenness, his inability to walk on the very thing that should consume him, as his eyes are fixed on his awesomeness, all of a sudden what was impossible becomes possible until he gets his eyes off of the awesomeness and lets something else capture his awe. And then it's in that place that he starts to sink. Are you in awe of the one who is creator of all things, the God of heaven and earth? When's the last time you were just like, man, that your covenant is, is enough for my complexities? 
Second thing is this, if you're taking notes, you want to drop this down. Take extreme ownership over your brokenness. Like Nehemiah, he takes extreme ownership. He says, listen to my prayer, look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. But look what he says. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands. So see, sometimes we just think like, we look at like a character like Nehemiah and we just think he's already like awesome, no brokenness. No, Nehemiah's like, I see it. We've sinned terribly by not obeying your commands and decrees and regulations. That's why we're in captivity. That's why we're in bondage. That's why we are where we are. And that you, that you gave through your servant Moses. So he's like, listen, I'm going to do my part. I'm going to own my part. Even though the entire exile wasn't his part. He said, God, you had a design for life. You had a design for best. And we turned our back on that. And we're suffering the consequences. But I'm going to own it. Even though it may not totally been my fault, I talked to a young lady in our church this week. She got into a horrible accident. She sent me the pictures. I was like, oh, my goodness, are you alive? Are you okay? And the accident was not her fault. We say this a lot in freedom. The accident may not be your fault, but you have to take extreme ownership over the care of your life afterwards. So the accident wasn't her fault. She was in the passenger seat of a friend's car. Car just mangled. But what is she doing? She's like, Pastor Matt, I'm at the doctor's. Pastor Matt, I'm, you know, I'm getting, I got a concussion. Pastor Matt, I'm, yeah, we spent all day here. It's like she is taking extreme ownership, saying all this may not have been my fault. Because some brokenness, it is our fault. Some of it, we're a byproduct of it. And we were broken because of other people's decisions. But we still have to deal with the care. How do I get through this? And the last one is this. Last one is this. Rebuild on God's promises. Rebuild. You know, one of, one of the most fascinating towers in the world to me is the, the Shanghai Tower. This thing is the second largest tower in the world. You know that it took five years for the foundation. Five years. There's a thousand pylons, big old pillars in this thing. It's huge. I just thought, man, you spent five years on the foundation? That's a long time. There's something about rebuilding on something that's solid that we all know is important, but we don't always do that. That's why we look for quick fixes. That's why there's all these easy outs in our culture. That's why there's all these different things that are available. But to rebuild on the promises of God, it's a sure, unwavering, allows your life to grow and And so Nehemiah goes like this. It says, please remember what you told your servant Moses. So he's like, yeah, I've sinned. Extreme ownership. Got this. But let me remind you. If you are unfaithful to me, you said, I will scatter you. That happened. But you said, if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth. This is huge. Listen to this. He says, I will bring you back. To the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. So Nehemiah, remember God, no matter how far, no matter how broken, 
No matter how messed up, no matter how crazy, no matter what the city looks like, no matter what everybody's saying, no matter how financially in debt I am, no matter how relationally devastated I feel, no matter how lonely that I'm wrestling with the loneliness right now, no matter how deep that is, you said you would meet me and bring me back. That is a rebuild on the right place. Because it's a sure footing. It's a guarantee, God, you promised that you would bring back. So Nehemiah said, listen, you promised you would bring back, so I'm going to rebuild on your promises. I'm going to rebuild. He says, the people that you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. See, listen. Dealing with our brokenness isn't, again, you guys hear me say this all the time, but I'm going to say it again. It's not trying really, really hard to deal with your brokenness. It's not about trying to get it out or get rid of or get over or stop doing. It's about the pursuit of saying, I've changed my whole pursuit. My delight is in honoring you. This is the new direction of my life. This is the new trajectory. I don't know what lies ahead, but I know, God, that I've made the turn and I'm pursuing you. I'm going to delight in you and everything that I do. C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, relying on God has to begin all over again every single day as if nothing had yet been done. There's just an everyday saying, yes, God. Yes, because here's, here's the deal. If you don't hear anything that I say, I think many times we want to deal with our brokenness because we're going to get a better life. That's not it. Nehemiah had a great life. He was in the palace. He was comfortable. You know, it's possible to be comfortable in your brokenness. It's, it's possible to be comfortable in your sinfulness. And you can look around like he's in the palace. He's a cupbearer to the king. He can look around and say, I'm, I'm really good. I really don't need to deal with this stuff. Hey, why don't you guys deal with that? I'm good. But dealing with our brokenness isn't so we can have a better life. That's not it. It's not it at all. Dealing with our brokenness. Can you hit my slide for me, gentlemen? Dealing with my brokenness, our brokenness, is not about improving ourselves. It's about dying to ourselves. The goal isn't a better life. The goal is a surrendered life. Because he's in a comfortable place. He's got the best life. He's right hand to the king. He gets to sip the best of wines, taste the finest foods. And God said, that's not, that doesn't mean you're living. I'm not calling you to a better life. I'm calling you to a surrendered life because where I'm taking you, it's not pretty, but it's what you're called to. See, on the other side of your brokenness, on the other side of your confession, there's a wall that needs to be rebuilt. There's people that are in disgrace and ashamed. And I've called you to step into that broken area. And so so the goal for us as we deal with our brokenness is not just about so we can get a better life. It's like, who's on the other side? Because a better life, you can live your best life now or you can deal with your brokenness and Die to yourself and live a surrendered life and fulfill everything that God has called you to. There's one decision that Nehemiah did not regret. It was dealing with his brokenness. 
because in that space, he was able to reach out and extend that hand and help others make the great exchange. That God still is faithful. God still is a God of his word. And we're gonna rebuild in record time. I know it's been like this for a long time. It doesn't matter. We're gonna rebuild in record time. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for our time. I just ask that you would, Holy Spirit, deal with our hearts, God. This is a, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so, Lord, I just ask that even the, the minute areas, your word says that it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. And so, Lord, I know we're always going to be dealing with broken areas of our life, but help us to get patterns in our life of dealing with them. Lord, I pray for our Freedom Conference coming up this week, God, that, that it would be a, a chance for us to look at some areas that you want to heal and see them in light of your awesomeness, to own our part, but then to rebuild on, on your promises. Let you speak into the broken areas, God. Let your promises bring healing and life and hope and possibility again. Lord, because there's not a better life on the other side, there's a surrendered life. And it's in a surrendered life that we find our best life. So do a deep work in us. Our prayer team's gonna be up here right after service. Listen, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, you're tuning in online and you're like, can I tell you the first step? If you've been away from God, just come home today. It's not a ladder system. You don't need to like, okay, I got to start all over from the ground. No, you're a son, you're a daughter. Just come home. If you've never trusted Jesus, maybe you've done the religious thing, but you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. You've never trusted him as your savior. Would you pray this with me right now? Just say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I confess my sin. Come on, let's pray with him. I confess my sin to you. I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross. I thank you that you were broken so that my brokenness could be healed. I believe you died and rose again on the third day and I confess my sin to you. Would you heal me? Would you save me? Would you restore me? I don't want a better life. I want a surrendered life. Because you said that's where life is best lived. In Jesus' name. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand today? Thanks again for joining us here at Fountain Church. For more details on how to get connected, visit us at fountainchurch.cc. We're also on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time.